You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. Later in the program, President Joe Biden announced on Wednesday that he would cancel $10,000 of student debt for those earning less than $125,000 per year. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have the Disabilitan, a brief segment on disability issues facing the nation. But first, your local headlines. At the August 10th Monroe County Board of Commissioners meeting, board members read a public statement in opposition to the recently passed Senate Bill 1. Commissioner Julie Thomas condemned the near-total ban on abortion, saying she believes the legislation will have many negative repercussions for Indiana residents. We do have a statement we'd like to make on the unfortunate passage of Senate Bill 1. We, the Monroe County Commissioners, are extremely disappointed in the legislation passed last week by the Indiana General Assembly, which bans virtually all abortions in Indiana. We predict that this legislation, which was rushed through in a special session and opposed by women's groups, doctors, small businesses, nurses, clergy, and others, will have many negative repercussions for Hoosiers. Within the last few days, both Eli Lilly and Cummins, two iconic Indiana employers, have expressed their opposition to this law. The Board of Commissioners discussed Ordinance 2022-23 to amend the Monroe County Code regarding Criminal Justice Response Committee. County Attorney Jeff Cockrell explained the ordinance. Yes, uh, this changes uh, Code Section 457 in uh, three ways. Uh, This was the Criminal Justice Response Committee. It renames that to the Community Justice Response Committee. Uh, That is change number one. Uh, Change number two is that the current committee only consists of counsel and uh, commissioners appointments, so A and B on what what you have in front of you. Uh, This adds uh, four members of the Board of Judges, the sheriff, or his designee, the prosecutor, or his or her designee, public defender, or his or her designee, and the jail commander, or his designee, as well as the director of the health department, or their designee. So it also, and the third thing it changes, it kind of expands the scope of what the the previous was looking at. So we basically took out the the language that directs them to one of the uh, two of the intercepts and, and looking at the entire criminal justice study as a whole and its implementation. Um, this this these re- changes were recommended at the last criminal justice response committee, which after the next one, I'll call the community <laughs> justice response <laughs> committee um, as a way to, to keep moving forward and expanding the, the scope of what they're talking about. I think that group has run into a lot of conversations where they really felt like they needed that additional um, knowledge base on the on the 
committee. Commissioner Lee Jones said she agreed with the expansion of the committee. Yeah, the work at this committee is very important to our community. And uh, I think it'll move forward much more quickly if we expand the committee like this. At the time that it was originally formed, we didn't realize that we would be looking at building a new jail quite so quickly. So that's why its scope was somewhat limited. Now that we do know that we're going to have to be considering a new jail, it makes sense for this committee to also um, work on that project. County Commissioner Julie Thomas said she believes this is an important step in communicating with the community when it comes to the county's criminal justice response. During public comment, Jim Shelton of Court Appointed Special Advocates, or CASA, said he hopes the commissioners approve the ordinance. Good morning again, commissioners. I want to encourage you to approve this. Uh, this greatly expands what they're going to, or makes more active what they're going to be working on. We need to, I've been a CASA for 10 years. Every case that I've had, the parents have been involved in the criminal justice system as well as in the juvenile system. So I've seen a lot about uh, what uh, the drawbacks are of incarcerating people who are addicted. They don't get better. Uh, Typically, they still have the same problem when they get out. And so it's really important, and I obviously you guys agree, that we do everything we can to have alternatives to incarcerating somebody. And that's a good part of what they're going to be working on now. It's going to be very complicated, very difficult. And I applaud this move to try to get uh, everybody more or less involved. And I think you'll have a lot better opportunity to get the community involved when they see uh, that the judges and the prosecutor and the sheriff and the jail, et cetera, are involved. And I think it's great to have the uh, health administrator involved, too, because, again, a lot of the reasons that people are in jail are because of health reasons, primarily mental health and uh, addiction. So please approve this. And I applaud you and Mr. Cockrell and the criminal justice response committee for uh, bringing this forward. Thanks. The Board of Commissioners did approve the ordinance. The next commissioner's meeting will be held on August 17th. President Joe Biden announced on Wednesday that he would cancel $10,000 of student debt for those earning less than $125,000 per year. The measure also included an additional $10,000 for people who received Pell Grants in college. WFHB News spoke with Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education at Indiana University, back in May 2022. At that time, President Biden was weighing whether or not he would forgive any more student debt. During the interview, Schumann walked us through how the U.S. amassed $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. I mean, man, do you have to go back to, I believe it was the Lyndon Johnson administration? So before my time, But back then, it was a way to provide access to higher education for anybody that couldn't afford it. And so you had student loan debt that was part of it. You know, people took the money out in order to pay for school. Back then, school wasn't as expensive. So it seemed like a pretty good way to go about things. And over the course of the years, like student loans, they've continued. And as as we all know, sort of schools have gotten more expensive over the course of time. And so those loans haven't been able to accommodate the cost of college as well as they once did. And so now students are having to take out more loans, both on the federal side and the private side of things in order to get their college degree or 
I should say, in order to try and achieve their college degree. Because in some cases, unfortunately, people take out student debt and don't get their college degree. Biden's latest loan forgiveness announcement only includes federal loans. However, this does not include private loans. Schumann said it's up to private loan companies to determine what will happen with private loans. Unless there's, this is my opinion here, like unless there's just something that comes across from a like a government standpoint that says like we'll help the these organizations that have been uh, that have been responsible for the private loans help them cover the costs of these forgiven loans. I don't think anything can really happen on the private side of things unless those individual private entities decide we're going to forgive the loans. What we're pretty much talking about here on the loan forgiveness side of things is just for students who have taken out federal loans. And then it's going to be up to the private organizations to determine what they want to do on their end. A partisan divide exists concerning student loan forgiveness. Schumann weighed the pros and cons, politically speaking, for Joe Biden eliminating at least some student loan debt. He first mentioned how the elimination of student debt could be beneficial. I mean, the pro, obviously, and I think a lot of people know this now, is just that if you were to forget the loan debt, it's like it's a gift to the people that, you know, took out college student debt. And, you know, it could be a $10,000 gift. It could be more than that. And if you feel so inclined, like, oh, I'm so thankful to you, Joe Biden, for giving me this, I'm going to give you my vote in return. I think that's sort of where a lot of things uh, or a lot of people think this is all going to fall. I sort of like I could understand that viewpoint, but I also know that there's a lot of other things happening in the world right now aside from just student debt. So I don't know if it's just going to be a uh, like just a trade off. I will forgive loans. You give me vote. I think there's going to be a lot of things that happen here, but I can understand sort of like the, the myopic view of that, of how it just it looks like that's what's happening here. Schumann next weighed some of the negative ramifications he believed could be a result of canceling some student loan debt. I mean, I think I think there's two pieces. Number one, it's just the I, I think it holds that like the conservative viewpoint of of liberals sort of holds there that this is what they're trying to do. They're just trying to give out uh, free money or whatever you want to say, and so that holds true. That gives them a little bit more of attacking points. I think the other piece, and you know, we're sort of seeing this right now in the economy, is that you know if loans are forgiven it puts more money back into the pockets of Americans and i have to make sure i caveat by saying like cool like that's 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 great like more people will have the ability to afford the things that they need on a regular basis which is fantastic however if more money is in people's pockets there's going to be more money that people can spend on things and we're seeing this right now where inflation is higher than we have seen it in quite some time and it's because people feel like they have more money in their pockets right now because the like student loan moratorium is a part of this. When we got the stimulus checks at the beginning um, and throughout the pandemic, that was another piece that was pumping more money back into the economy. And again, like that's not to say that those things were bad, but it's just it's the nature of, of the beast where all of this money caused inflation because of just the law of economics there. And so, therefore, like if Biden were to forgive the loans, it's possible that the like our inflation will continue to go up. It may stay the same, but it's probably not going to go down. And so the political ramifications there are it could be that inflation gets worse and that would not go over well with a lot of people. Tuition at public colleges and universities were often free or at least more affordable decades ago. Schumann explained why the cost of college has skyrocketed over the years, in his view. Yeah, so I, I'll speak on my own personal opinion. Like, in the, you know, some of it's opinion, some of it's fact within there, but I don't want it to be like, 
coming out as accusatory, like this is the reason why college has gotten so expensive. Mm. But I mean, like colleges have become sort of a world unto themselves at this point, right? Like if you come to Indiana University, which is where I work, like we have an entire ecosystem that, you know, is remarkable. And we've, we've joked about it before in our office before, like we're our own sort of like separate world. I mean, if you go up the, like if you go up to the University of Notre Dame, literally they are their own town sort of embedded within South Bend. They have their own zip code, all of that kind of stuff. And it's, you've be, we've created these own little worlds that, you know, support students. Like they're their own, again, sort of ecosystem where we have ways to support students, not just academically, but also in how they're living and the services to get them. Like now we're talking like mental health needs and their physical needs and all of that kind of stuff. And with each thing that you add on there, there's going to be an increase in cost. Um, so you've got that piece where just more, I would say almost more is demanded of each university to provide for their students to make sure that they're taken care of while they're in school. You've also got like for a public institution like Indiana University, like over the course of the last, I don't know, couple decades or so, like you've seen steady decreases in the amount of state funding that's been given to these institutions. Like, in, you know, in the past, like the amount of money that was given to each public university by the state was more than what it, what it is now. And so therefore, the universities have to offset the cost somehow. And the way to do that is to drive up more revenue, which means you have to drive up the cost of college in order to support that. So that's another piece behind it as well. And I mean, like, to me, that's like, that's sort of it. There's just this sort of interplay between those two things. But I think this is one of the things a lot of people have been talking about as it relates to loan forgiveness is, cool, we can forgive student loan forgiveness, and that would be great. However, that doesn't solve the problem of rising tuition. Like, what can we do to prevent us from getting back here in another 10 to 20 years' time? Experts debate how eliminating some student debt would impact the overall economy. Schumann walked through some of those economic implications of student loan forgiveness. Yeah, so we talked about the, like, the economic impact in terms of if you forgive it, inflation is likely to stay where it's at or go up a little bit more. So that's not great. But for you know the families who are disadvantaged by having student loan debt. And again, we're not necessarily talking about people with college degrees. We're talking about people who started to get their college degree and then for whatever reason had to, to back out of doing it. They have a lot of student debt. And right now, their ability to move up in society in order to achieve some sort of economic prosperity might be hindered by the fact that they just have this quite honestly, like maybe marginal student loan balance. Like I think there was a stat where most of the people who defaulted on student loans, the dollar amount that they had was less than $10,000. It wasn't like all these people with exorbitant amounts of debt. It was people at the 10,000 or below level because they went to college, took out some student loans and couldn't finish. And if they had that loan balance forgiven, it sort of gives them a start over. It gives them a chance to sort of, you know, move themselves forward, at that point, it doesn't negatively affect their credit, which would be awesome because then that allows them opportunity if they're making money to potentially, you know, apply to buy a house or a car or achieve some sort of way of getting an asset that could help increase their overall net worth. And so I think that would be a huge piece to the, to the economy if we're able to pull that off. And, you know, at that point, like, at least to me, like inflation would just be what it is because it would be this forgiveness would support so many people in their ability to try and move up and again achieve economic prosperity. The Biden administration announced it will also extend the moratorium on student loan payments until December 31st, 2022.
Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro, and this is the Disabilitan News Briefing, a brief segment on disability issues facing the nation. In a lawsuit filed July 29th between New York's Westchester County-based Disabled on the Move Incorporated, WDOMI, and Lyft, Lyft officials said the company is exempt from the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, and doesn't have to cater to people with non-folding wheelchairs. Lyft has been embroiled in this class action suit with WDOMI since 2017, when the disability rights group sued the company for failing to accommodate people with wheelchairs that don't fold. Currently, the ride-sharing company won't make wheelchair-accessible vehicles, or WAVES, available to passengers with non-folding wheelchairs in areas outside of where Lyft is required by state laws to do so. These areas are known by disability rights groups as non-access regions. While advocates aren't seeking financial compensation, they are lobbying for Lyft to help wave drivers reach riders by both allowing drivers to categorize their vehicles as wheelchair accessible and by turning off any app blockers preventing riders from selecting the company's accessible option. On the other side, Lyft is arguing it is not subject to regulations in the ADA that would require it to ensure the availability of wheelchair accessible vehicles stating it is a technology company, not a transport business. According to court documents filed by Lyft and its website, the company already offers wave services through an, quote, access, end quote, ride option on the app in nine cities requiring the company to do so. In regions where this access mode isn't available, again, known as non-access regions, Lyft said in the filing it can't simply turn on access mode to connect riders with wave drivers in other areas, for there aren't enough of those vehicles. A Lyft spokesperson cited a lack of driver availability as another of the issues hindering fulfillment of the requests. Quote, there is an extremely limited supply of these specially manufactured vehicles across the country, and even fewer among the population of rideshare drivers. Despite these obstacles, we are constantly working to improve the reliability of the service and find solutions to address supply challenges, end quote. The company currently works with third-party providers to supply wave vehicles and works to recruit drivers who already have waves, but company officials hold that these solutions aren't feasible nationwide. Additionally, the high cost of wheelchair-accessible vehicles, or converting a van into a wave, which could cost up to $30,000, and the small populace of people in the U.S. who use non-folding wheelchairs also contributed to the lack of wave service. Lyft officials went on to state, quote, where the supply and demand for service is very low, the platform does not perform well, and therefore is very low, or in some cases, no use. The American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation says, on the other hand, roughly 5.5 million adults use a wheelchair for mobility, both foldable and non-folding. A lawyer for the Disability Rights Advocates, or Westchester Disability on the Move, said the number of drivers with waves isn't as big an issue as Lyft claims. Attorney Jeremiah Fry Pearson disputed Lyft's claims by stating, quote, Lyft provides accessible rides in cities located in states with government regulations, including Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, Portland, Phoenix, and San Francisco. But disability rights groups want Lyft to make this access available nationwide. Lyft needs to provide wheelchair accessible service to everyone. 
To do that, all Lyft has to do is turn off the blocker, or toggle, preventing people from identifying their vehicles as wheelchair accessible, and which prevents riders from requesting these vehicles." End quote. According to a newsflash from NBC News, quote, this isn't the first legal dispute Lyft has seen over accessibility. Lyft, Uber, and Via settled a suit against New York City in 2018, in which they opposed rules that would impose accessibility requirements on the rideshare companies. In the end, they agreed to provide wheelchair-accessible riders to passengers quicker. In 2020, Lyft settled a lawsuit brought by the Department of Justice that required the company to accommodate riders who use foldable wheelchairs and had to pay a fine to four people who accused the company of discrimination. Lyft did not admit any wrongdoing in the 2020 suit. Over the next few reports, we will continue to cover this story as new details become available. I'm Abe Shapiro. WFHB News. Up next, real estate and fake money on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Where are you living these days? I don't want to know your address, but are you thinking of buying, selling, or renting a place to hang your hat? If so, there's a new factor that's just muscled its way into the game. Cryptocurrencies. There's no time to explain what those are. You'll have to look up the subject. And if you understand it, please explain it to me. I'm talking about Bitcoin, Litecoin, and over a thousand other kinds of virtual money created and controlled by computers. They're becoming serious factors in real estate deals, including rental properties. They're worldwide, and the concept seems to present a fundamental challenge to governments and the money they issue. But so far, they're not regulated anywhere. Although that will change. Cryptocurrencies can be changed into standard currencies, but they're extremely volatile. Their value in dollars or pounds or yen or pesos can change drastically, literally minute by minute. Now, people who have a bunch of bitcoins or whatever are buying houses and land to put their profits into something they can actually touch, which has real value in the real world. These are cash deals, always attractive to a seller. Plus, in virtual crypto space, a building can be divided up into pieces called tokens, which can be bought and sold like shares of stock. Cryptocurrencies claim they're immune to hackers, but don't bet on it. Some virtual Willie Sutton will find a way to tunnel into their vaults eventually. And dealing in any cryptocurrency can create an extremely complicated tax situation, which could suddenly become very different as governments start trying to regulate them. Already, scammers and swindlers are ripping off people who are trying to find a home or get rid of one. 
Surprise, surprise, as Gomer Pyle used to say. Fraudsters are lifting information and pictures from online rental listings and creating fake listings which look perfectly legit. But they ask for security deposits and first month's rent in cryptocurrency. Then they disappear, and there's no way to trace where the virtual money went. If you're looking to rent, you'd better pay by check or credit card. Buyers and sellers are encountering businesses which offer to provide capital for real estate deals and want their suckers to invest in bitcoins or some other brand and send that along to close transactions. But in cyberspace, it's easy to put those into a virtual wallet which has no connection to any person. As usual, many of these gonifs are overseas and pretending to be located in this country. Watch out for misspelled words and weird English, just like with spam emails. Lots of these fakers are using social media to lay their traps, so double and triple check any tips you think you're getting from a friend. Above all, remember the rule which holds good for any kind of money. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems, encouraging independence and individual responsibility. More information available online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. The Disabilitin segment was produced by Abe Shapiro. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB Local News, I'm Abe Shapiro. Live and learn. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters at WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for cool solutions. Climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.
listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending New Volunteer Orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 